thank you for what you do in our lives. We are amazed that you would use us, but you do choose to use us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and take this very simple word this morning and just touch our hearts, touch our lives, and bring real transforming change. We bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody knows them, and we all hate them in our lives. The (laughs) know-it-alls. Have you people in your life who who really think they know it all, and they're not, you know, behind the door and telling you when you've got it wrong and when you're pointing out or when you've got your grammar wrong or you've spelled something wrong, all of those types of things. The people who know it all and they have an opinion on everything and they, they think their opinion is right, don't they? Because they think they know it all. When, when the truth actually is, as someone said, they're really annoying for those of us who actually do know it all. <laughs> but in actual fact, we know we don't know it all. We know we don't get it right. I, I wonder, is that how maybe Jesus felt with the disciples sometimes? Because they thought they knew it all, didn't they? They thought they had it all together. Remember when James and John come to Jesus, and I think they were expecting to get a pat on the back from Jesus, when they said, Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and he's not one of us. <laughs> and, and Jesus actually rebukes them because they didn't fit the the narrow confines of what they thought. They thought they knew it all. They thought they were the ones who had it together. And many times in the scripture, we see Jesus having to educate his disciples about what it means to follow him. And I want to turn your attention this morning to Luke chapter 5. We're going to go back to the start of their call, to the start of the passage to the start of their journey, because I think we can learn some very simple things about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Have you ever felt sometimes that life and even church life has has become a little bit more complicated? Well, this won't be a complicated message this morning, Pauline. This is a simple message just taking us back to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Luke chapter 5 One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the boat belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let the nets down. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be a fisher of men. 
So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. First thing I want to suggest to you is that in order to follow Jesus as a disciple, as a disciple, we need to be teachable. We need to be teachable. Jesus comes as a carpenter talking to fishermen about how to fish. We probably think we're teachable, don't we? We probably think we're, we're really open people until someone tries to teach us something, until we have to learn something. And it's usually those that, that maybe we consider are in, inferior in their knowledge or, or their experience. You know, how would you react? Put yourself in Simon's shoes. How would you react running a successful business as a fisherman and a carpenter comes along and tells you how to fish? Because that's the reality of the situation. Not only that, we, we know that works hard all night. Now, I don't think it's just me, but I think... I can be a little bit grumpy when I'm tired. Easy, easy. We can all be a little bit grumpy when we're tired, don't we? When we're a little bit lacking energy, when we're a little bit on the edge somewhere and we just kind of... <laughs> I'm sure your pastor's never done that to any of you. But for us mortal human beings, you know, sometimes maybe we're a little bit edgy. Jesus comes to Simon Peter and, and the lesson is that we actually have to be teachable. Actually, it's a lesson right throughout Scripture. Proverbs 9, verse 8 and 9 says this, Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Proverbs 10, 17 Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but whoever rejects reproof leads others astray. You see, when God comes to teach us, the lesson isn't simply for us. You do know that. When God comes to work in our life, we don't live on our own. We live in a community of faith. We live in a family. We live in an environment. And the lessons God wants to teach us are not simply for our benefit, and God wants us to be people who are teachable. What is it that said of, of the Israelites that they were stiff-necked and rebellious? God in his compassion and mercy had to come to him time and time again. And there's times where he wanted to wipe them out, didn't he? And Moses said, well, if you're going to wipe them out, you might as well wipe me out. If your presence doesn't go with us, how can we go up from here? And that presence had to teach them lessons time and time again. Psalmist says this, Psalm 86 verse 11. Teach me your, your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Sometimes we fear other people, don't we? We fear the reaction of other people. We fear the disapproval of other people when we want to go for it in God when we take the stand that is right. But actually, our greatest fear should be God himself. But what is it about teachability? 
I think teachability is a desire to learn and a willingness to change. See, I've met many people who have a desire to learn. I've met lots of people who can quote the scripture back ways, front ways, King James, NIV, pick a version. They can quote it. But I tell you what, you challenge them, you push a button, I find that they can quote it, they know it, but you just challenge them a little on their attitude. And I'm telling you what, you see a different side. You see the anger come out. You see the unforgiveness. You see the bitterness, but they know the word. So they think they're on right. They're okay. Teachability is not just the ability to learn even God's word. It's not just the ability to learn God's word. It's the willingness to change. And that was the problem of the Pharisees. They knew the word, didn't they? But they didn't recognize the time of God's visitation. They didn't recognize Jesus. They opposed Jesus because they weren't willing to change their traditions and their ways of doing things for the sake of reaching others. In fact, Jesus said it. You make others more of a sons of hell than you are because you, you add more burdens onto them. And the challenge that comes to me, the challenge that comes to you is, are we actually teachable? Are we actually not only willing to learn, but are we willing to change when God speaks to us? Are we willing to be reproofed? Are we willing to be rebuked? Truthfully, what I find many times nowadays is that when you even lovingly and gracefully challenge people, they just throw up around, oh, I'm off to the church down the road. I'm not taking this. You can't speak to me like this. Who do you think you are? Well, actually, the Word of God says we have to teach and rebuke with all authority. Isn't that right? Now, I know from pastoral leadership, and I know from your pastor, that's never an easy process. It's never easy. It's that knot in our stomach when we have to come and challenge people. But it's part of our responsibility because one day, Scripture says, those of us who are leaders will stand before God and have to give an account. And we will be judged greater. So my encouragement to you is, if you're a follower of Christ, are you teachable? Are you willing to learn? And are you willing to change? What stops us? I think the biggest thing that stops us is pride. Pride is a killer in our life. But it's the thing we must kill in our life. We must humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And many of us would say, well, I'm not proud. Again, until someone comes and challenges our comfort zones. Until someone comes and says something to us or about us. And then... Let me share something that won't be any details. But I know since I've left the previous church, lies have been told about me. <laughs> I tell you what, that's hard. I have to be honest, it's hard. Especially when you're trying to follow God's will. But you know what God said to me? Just humble yourself. Don't even respond to the emails. The stuff I've been accused of in emails, <laughs> and some of you know the journey and you know the history, and you know what I'm talking about. 
God said, say nothing. And that's hard when you have to humble yourself. But you know what? God lifts us up, doesn't he? God lifts us up in due time. We don't have to defend ourselves. When they called Jesus, he didn't retaliate. (laughs) What is it that causes us, us to want to retaliate? It's pride because we're offended. We want people to think well of us. We want their approval. We want them to say, yeah, that's great. And they don't always do that. And our pride is offended. Can I encourage you? I don't say this often, but on this particular issue, I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Let's be people who are teachable. Whether we've been saved four minutes or 43 years, let's be teachable because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have to throw our nets on the other side. Even when we worked hard, even when it's uncomfortable, but because he says so. Amen? You've gone very quiet on me. And that's the second thing I want to say to you this morning. Following Jesus as a disciple means we need to be humble. How does Peter express it? Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm not actually sure this is the first time Peter had met Jesus or the disciples had met Jesus. If you begin to look at some of the other parallel Gospels, there seems to be a suggestion that they may have met Jesus more than once because when they get up and follow Jesus, I think they've had time to think about this. They left their nets and followed him, but I don't think it was on that one occasion. And can I say in in terms of preaching the Gospel, Sometimes it takes people more than once to hear the gospel before they're ready to commit. We're not a failure if when we preach the gospel once, people don't respond. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But I think that there's a process involved. And that process came for Peter to the realization that he was a sinful man. That he needed to humble himself before this man who was the son of God. Again, that can be hard for us to admit we're wrong. Someone has said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Because <laughs> we don't know it all, do we? do we? And that's why we need to be teachable. It's what we learn after we know it all that really counts. And one of the things I think we have to learn is we need to be humble. Because actually, it only is the grace of God that allows us to be here. See, grace is a great leveler for all of us. When we come to the table, we're all equal. In fact, when you look at Scripture, the Scripture says that we all are equal before God. We have different functions, and those in leadership may have a a particular function to lead the body, but we're not any better. We don't have a hotline to heaven. We're not more holy than you. Grace is the great leveler for all of us. Paul knew that. Paul describes himself as the chief of sinners, doesn't he? He says, but by God's grace. In places like 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. 
and we stand before God and we admit our need. We have to admit our weaknesses. God doesn't mind our honesty when we come and we say things like, I've had a messy week. Have you ever read your Bible? There's a lot of messy weeks that go on in the Bible. Read the story of the Psalms. Read the story of Jonah. Read the story of Elijah. There's a lot of messy weeks that go on in people's lives. And we need to be honest about this stuff. Not have a super smiley face on and pretend everything's all right when it's not. Psalm 42, David talks about pouring out his soul before God. Church should be a safe place where people are able to pour out their souls. Where people are able to come and give everything to God in worship and with other members of the community. God wants us to be honest. That's a challenge in church <laughs> because people resist that honesty, truthfully. One of the things that we have done, Bev's actually teaching on it at the minute, um, it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's um, a kind of program and a course run by a Pentecostal pastor in New York. And Bev is actually teaching the women of the church the Emotionally Healthy Women course can I encourage you, for those of you who Google, go online, have a look at it. It's a really useful course that talks for women and for men. We actually did the women's one together. Sorry, guys, if that disappoints you. But I was getting in touch with my feminine side, you know. It's actually really useful for men as well, but the emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally, emotionally healthy leadership, because I think we just need to have that honesty. Because Jesus was. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says that with loud cries and tears, he came before God asking if there was any other way. So I, I think we need that honesty because it's a sign of humility. It's a sign of humility that we come before God and we say everything we have received, we have received by grace. Our forgiveness is by God's grace. We didn't earn it. We know Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's a gift. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So that no one can boast before him. We can't boast this morning. So many times in Scripture, it says things like, Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Psalm 32. The Lord would mark iniquity. Who would stand? None of us. Told the story of a Jewish teacher who was in a conference and a man came up to him and said, I I'm a teacher now and you were my teacher when I was a kid. Do you remember me? Any of your teachers will know a lot of kids passed through. This was a long time past. He said, I'm in teaching today because of you. You must remember what happened. The guy said, to be honest, I don't. Um, what's your name? And, and they got discussing a little. He said, well, you must remember the story. It was fairly dramatic. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't remember what happened. Tell me the story again. So the guy who had been impacted and was now a teacher spoke to the old man. He said, well, 
one day one of my friends came into class and they had a lovely watch on. And we came from a poor family and so I didn't have a watch and I really liked his watch. So I stole it. I took the watch. And the friend whose watch had been stolen came back into the, the classroom and noticed that his watch had gone. And so he told the teacher. And the teacher said, okay, has anyone taken the watch? No one owned up. So he locked the door and said, okay, no one's leaving until we get the watch back. So you're going to have to all line up against the wall and I'm going to have to search your pockets. And the, the guy who's now a teacher knew this is it. It was over. So they're all lining up. And the teacher comes and says, right, I want you to close your eyes. So they all stood against the wall with their eyes closed. And he went down one by one, putting his hand in the pocket. And you can imagine what's happening as he gets closer and closer. Palms are starting to sweat. He's starting to get nervous until finally he puts his hand in the pocket of this one man, pulls out the watch, and tells the kids, okay, you can all sit down. Gives the watch back to the boy who had been stolen from, releases the kids. They go home. He said, I'm a teaching today because of, the impact, because you never pulled me out in front of the class and embarrassed me or shamed me. You never spoke to me about it again. You never spoke to the class. You never spoke to my parents. I realized that day what a difference you could make in someone's life. And the teacher said, that's amazing. I, I never knew that. He said, how could you not know? He said, I had my eyes closed too. We come to God in humility because God has cast our sea, sins in the sea of his forgetfulness. He's closed his eyes to the things that we have done when we would deserve that punishment. Here's the challenge. Paul writes it in Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's humility. So following Jesus as a disciple means we need to be teachable, means we need to be humble, and then finally, it means we need to be available. Jesus said, don't be afraid you're going to be a fisher of men. Don't you think Jesus knew what Peter was really like? <laughs> Don't you think he knew what was coming? Don't you think he knew what the disciples were like? Don't you think he knew he had a Judas in his life? And yet he still chose to use flawed, broken, failing again and again, failing people people who didn't have it all together, people who had sometimes had great revelation and insight and at other times that he had to rebuke and say, get behind me, Satan. They had the ebb and the flow in their life. Peter's disclosure that he was a sinful man 
was not a light bulb moment for Jesus. <laughs> he knew exactly what Peter was like, but he said, you know what, Peter? God has a plan. God has a plan for your life, and that is to make you a fisher of men. That is to use you, even though you're a pebble, you're going to become a rock. You're going to be someone whom God can use to reach others and to bring others into the kingdom. You're going to have a great influence for the kingdom of God. God remembers that we are dust. That's how the psalmist put it, isn't it? He remembers that we're dust, and yet he chooses to use us. The weak, the foolish things of the world, God wants to use us to reach other people. We know the world is a mess. I never thought I would be in Northern Ireland and stand and see the laws that is proposed to come into this country. To make it even more liberal than England? Come on. Who would have thought? Who would have thought this is what this nation would have been facing? I had a friend who said, preach Jesus because the rest is a mess. And you know what? I think that's good advice for us as a church. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. We have to call people to follow Jesus. We have all sorts of fancy things that go on now, but in this parallel passage in Mark chapter 1, Jesus actually tells us what the gospel is. People have made it all sorts of things. Come to Jesus and you can be rich. That's the gospel is sometimes presented. Come to Jesus and all your problems will be sorted. <laughs> Anyone had all their problems sorted because they're a follower of Jesus? No, I didn't think so. Sometimes that's the gospel. What is the gospel? Mark 1 verse 15 and a couple of verses afterwards. Repent, believe the good news, and then he says, follow me. That's the three things of the gospel. That's, I don't know if you've got your message prepared yet tonight. <laughs> you don't sometimes leave it last minute. <laughs> There's a good, that's a freebie for you, man. Repent, believe, and lots of people will do the first two, won't they? Lots of people in Northern Ireland will say, I, I believe. And what they mean is, I have an intellectual assent to the fact that there's someone called Jesus or there might be a God. Or... But the challenge is to follow. Actually, that's a challenge for all of us. Whether we're starting out on the journey or whether we've been a Christian for over 40 years, Repent, believe, and follow. What about the, the miracle of the fish? What's going on there? I think there's a couple of things. I think one of the things Jesus is saying is, guys, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Peter, you need to follow me. And it is going to cost you, but I'll provide for you. I'm able to provide and that's one of the challenges for us, isn't it? To fulfill the call of God on our life. To do what God's asking us to do. But because it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us in money. It's going to cost us in time. It's going to cost us maybe in relationships. But it's going to cost us to follow Jesus. In fact, that's what he promised, isn't it? If any man wants to follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. It's going to cost us to follow Jesus. 
I think he's coming with a very simple encouragement to Peter and saying, Peter, don't worry. I have a plan. (laughs) And the plan is, I'm going to use you and I'm going to provide for you. Now here's the challenge that comes to us. If God were to come to you today and speak the command that he did to Peter, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. If Jesus was to come and say to you as an individual, launch out into the deep, what would that mean for you? What does that mean for you as an individual? What does that mean for you as a family? What does that mean for you as a church? To respond in obedience, to follow him, understanding that God has a plan to use you. It's not always comfortable, is it? I've been listening and sharing with the church back in England a video that's of the Welsh Revival from 1904. I don't know if you've ever read into that or or watched anything on it. Incredible that God would use a fairly uneducated miner, Evan Roberts, who in the space of six months saw 100,000 people come into the church. They actually reckon there was around 250,000 people got saved a hundred thousand were added to the church. And do you know what they used to do? In, there were so many people that in, the, new, in the, the newspapers, they used to publish the names of those who got saved. Incredible story of what he did. And that spawned at least 30 other revivals, including Azusa Street, the birth of the Pentecostal movement, stuff in India and, and, and around the world. And Evan Roberts said God give them some stuff at the part of that, of what it meant for them to be followers of Jesus. And I'm going to leave these four things with you. This is what they said at the dawn of the Welsh Revival. Confess openly and fully to God any unconfessed sin in your life. Confess openly and fully any unconfessed sin in your life. Number two, Do away with anything doubtful in your life. Do away with anything doubtful in your life. Thirdly, give prompt obedience to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you. Give prompt obedience to the Holy Spirit. And finally, it's applicable tonight. Confess Christ openly and publicly before the world. Doesn't just happen at baptism. We have to do it in the times and seasons in which we are in. The BBC has said that there are a hundred different gender definitions. Can you believe that? These are the times in which we live. These are the times in which the church has to publicly and openly confess what the gospel actually is. And it's not easy. But I wonder, church, as I finish, as we pray... What's your next step in following Jesus? What does it mean for you to be teachable? What does it mean for you to have that willingness to learn and the desire to change? 
What does it mean for you today to be humble before the Lord? It's not humiliation, it's humility before the Lord. And what does it mean to know that God wants to use you? God wants you to launch out into the deep. What's your next step? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word that you're so willing to use us, that you're causing us to follow you. Once again, a fresh commitment to follow you. Putting everything else aside, putting the clutter of church, putting the busyness of our lives, but to come and renew our commitment to follow you. Lord Jesus, give us your grace to be people who take the next step. Help us to be people who say yes to you this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.